Hey, this is Ethan Phillips from Star Trek Voyager, and you're listening to Treks in Sci-Fi. the final frontier. These are the voyagers of the Starship Enterprise. Its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. Welcome to Treks in Sci-Fi, podcast number 164 for March the 9th, 2008. I hope everyone is uh, enjoying the past week and will uh, be enjoying this podcast episode. Thought I'd start off a little differently this week. Uh, Got a good show for you, a lot of things to cover. Going to be looking at the TNG episode, Darmok, will be the main topic. I'm going to do a full audio commentary for that episode. We've got several listener uh, entries to play, some great audio from them, and uh, collectible later on, the, on in the show, so stay tuned. Well, again, welcome to the podcast, everyone. This is Trex and Sci-Fi. I'm Rico, your host, as always, for this uh, action-packed show Got a good one for you this week, I think. Uh, a lot of things to cover. Uh, so let's get right started into it. Uh, first, I want to get out of uh, the way the usual business uh, for people that might be new to the podcast, things you can do to contact me and the show. Uh, the main website, treksinsci-fi.com, is the portal to all of uh, everything connected to the podcast, the forums, collection galleries, uh, all kinds of goodies. So check that out when you get a chance if you've never gone there. Also, we have, uh, what was I going to say? <laughs> oh, yes, the email for the, the podcast and to contact me, treksf at gmail.com. Voicemail for the show, 206-666-1627. So we've got that out of the way. Let's uh, roll into things. Uh, it's been a good week. Uh, lots of things going on, I think, in the news and, and lots of fun stuff to talk about uh, uh, I just read, actually, I, I was looking around on the Internet a little bit before I got started, a few interesting things. Uh, one, uh, the the second Hulk movie, uh, huh, huh? <laughs> second Hulk movie, uh, the first trailer for that is going to show up sometime midweek. I think Wednesday, I, I read March 12th, that should be showing up, so that should be interesting. Also, on the Star Trek front... Uh, we've got uh, some information there. The next part to Star Trek of Gods and Men will be coming out uh, next weekend. Uh, I think it's Saturday, March uh, 15th. Yes, Saturday, March 15th, that will be showing up. So go over to uh, StarTrekOfGodsAndMen.com, and you can learn all about that and see part one if you haven't had a chance. Lots of uh, good uh, stuff in that, lots of Trek stars, and uh, a pretty interesting story so far. Can't wait to see the second part. Also, uh, congratulations goes out to uh, Jerry Ryan, of course, who played Seven of Nine on Star Trek Voyager, and her husband just had a, a baby girl earlier last week. Uh, 
think the name was Giselle M. Uh, yeah, that's right. I'm looking at it online here. So congratulations to them uh, on the birth of their baby girl. Uh, that's great news. I'd like to uh, switch now over to uh, Nathaniel, uh, who sent in a another clip. This one is a, a very rare audio interview. It's also on that Inside Star Trek disc. I'm not going to play the whole thing, but this is a discussion with Mark Leonard, who played Sarek, of course, in the original series and in the movies. And, and uh, this is a really interesting uh, discussion here. Well, uh, I'll let them take it away. So I'll be back in a couple of minutes after we play some of this uh, Inside Star Trek clip. Hello again, everyone. This is Nathaniel from New York, here with another track from Inside Star Trek. This week, I thought I'd bring you a clip of Gene Roddenberry's interview with Ambassador Sarek, as portrayed by Mark Leonard. I thought this clip was particularly interesting, since it was probably one of the few times after Journey to Babel where we hear Mark Leonard as Sarek. Um, during the 1970s, I think the only other time where, we, he, where he was portrayed was on the animated series episode uh, Yesteryear. So hearing him in this interview was a, was a lot of fun. I think the next time we hear from Sark probably won't be until Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. Anyway, I hope everyone enjoys this segment in the somewhat unusual interview where Gene asks Sark some rather personal questions about the origins of Spock. Mr. Roddenberry, take it away. Set transporter for Vulcan Embassy. Coordinates on Vulcan Embassy. Lock on to Ambassador Sark. Ambassador Sark, sir, engaging. Welcome, Ambassador Sarek. My old friend Roddenberry. It's been years since we met. And I have many new questions, Ambassador. Much more intimate and personal than I've ever had to ask before. About my son Spock, I presume? Well, yes, if you include the beginnings of Spock. There are some things I must know, Ambassador, in order to continue my Star Trek journals. Forgive me, but... How were you able to overcome the Vulcan pond for mating drive? I presume you did overcome it, since Spock's mother, Amanda, was human, and somehow she was impregnated by you. Roddenberry, are you asking if we coupled? Y yes, sir. We know that Vulcans normally mate only once every seven years. And since it is known that we pay for our sexual repressions during these years by an almost animal madness... This has aroused a, uh, a prurient curiosity among humans. It comes out of our affection for your son Spock, Ambassador, and your son's future. He's half human. We've seen him reject a Vulcan marriage. Is marriage to a human female possible to him? It was for me. But if you take the madness which happens to your people at the time of Ponfar, then add to it the extraordinary strength of a Vulcan... Ordinarily, an Earth woman could not enjoy that. If she survived, she might be severely injured, both physically and emotionally. Regarding that... Roddenberry, I will not paint a word picture. I, uh, I will say that humans and Vulcans mate in somewhat similar fashion. Uh, in quite similar fashion. But physical contour, mass... Duration and energy do vary. Since we are deprived of our reason during this time, the rest depends upon the woman. 
Not just her strength, but also her wisdom, her patience. Is it possible to ever completely overcome the fun for man? Well, thanks for sending that in, uh, Nathaniel. Very interesting discussion there. Uh, the little Vulcan human mating rituals of uh, Sark and Amanda to produce good old Spock. Uh, if anyone would like to hear more of that, the complete Inside Star Trek uh, clip, uh, uh, sign up over at uh, treksandsci-fi.com on the forums, and I've made that available. Uh, if you'd like to, uh, check it out. I wanted to announce and mention that uh, Season 6 of the uh, RPG game at Treks and Sci-Fi on the forums is starting up today, actually. Uh, we're opening it up for uh, Season 6, so we're looking for some new members. We have some new ones signed up that are going to be uh, having uh, new characters joining us in the continuing missions of the crew. Uh, we had some dramatic things happen towards the end of uh, Season 5. We uh, will also be releasing uh, this week another Ready Room uh, cast, which will sort of wrap up that season, a discussion uh, that we had over Skype uh, yesterday with some of the members. So uh, look forward to uh, listening to that. And uh, definitely, you know, if you're into writing and you like Star Trek, uh, this is a great way to uh, get a little experience with both. Uh, we have some really vivid uh, people or vivid people with vivid imaginations and great writing skills on there. And even if you... Uh, you know, even if you don't have a lot uh, of writing experience, we can definitely help you out. Uh, we give you some pointers. We've got a couple of great people, uh, Kenny and Jen on the forums, helping out on that. And a lot of other people would, would be happy to also uh, pitch in. So uh, don't be afraid. Join us over at com on the forums. Okay, next up, we have a real special uh, new treat or another uh, special treat from Vartok, I should say, another musical segment this time about a composer uh, with uh, some familiar music uh, that a lot of people out there listening to the podcast will know. So take it away, uh, Vartok. Hello, everyone. This is Vartok again with another music and sci-fi segment. For today's segment, I'm going to talk about David Arnold, a popular, successful, and relatively young 46-year-old British composer. David Arnold was born in Luton, England, some 32 miles north of London, in 1962. At the age of seven, he already knew that he wanted to compose music for film. It was at the Luton British Legionnaire Club, where Arnold saw his first James Bond movie, You Only Live Twice, and then he claimed the film's score tainted him for life and was a substantial event for him that just got him hooked. In fact, you've just heard the track from I'm In The Money from the recent 2006 James Bond film Casino Royale, but more about that later. Arnold was brought up listening to Sinatra, Debussy, The Beatles, and Stevie Wonder. His first instrument was the recorder, followed by the clarinet, the electric guitar, and then the piano. As a teenager, David played in nursing homes alongside his father. He played with a number of punk rock bands that never really took off, so David went to college at England's prestigious National Film and Television School and studied theater design, but later he left to pursue his career in music. After a number of job auditions failed, he returned to his hometown. While at a local art center, where he rehearsed and played with bands, 
he met with a young film student named Danny Cannon. Arnold's first big break came when Danny asked him to write the score for the first feature film, The Young Americans, in 1993. The film, unfortunately, went unseen by most, except for Alan Parker, a top commercial and feature director who enjoyed the film so much that he invited both Cannon and Arnold to visit him in his Hollywood mansion in Bel Air, California. Alan Parker wasn't the only person to notice Davis' talents. Mark Friedman, one of the producers for the 1994 big-budget sci-fi movie Stargate, also noticed the score for The Young Americans, and the music was filtered to the director and producer of Stargate, Dean Devlin and Roland Emmerich, who were looking for a composer at the time. A number of cues from the score were placed against the scenes, and they worked so well together that the success of the film would lead to a five-year partnership with Devlin and Emmerich. In Stargate, an interstellar transportation device found in Egypt leads to a planet with humans resembling ancient Egyptians who worshipped the god Ra. Subsequently, in 1997, David's Stargate theme was reprised when a secret military team called SG-1 was formed to explore the recently discovered Stargates. The SG-1 series was produced by MGM Television, who still wanted to use the music from the movie as a basis for the music for the TV spinoff. The Stargate score had started to appear on many movie trailers by now and was gaining popularity and familiarity, so the TV crew used the movie score to lay in the pilot episode, while other composers used and developed both Davis' music and their own to create a whole universe of Stargate music. The show has gone on to be immensely successful around the world and with over 200 episodes being made. After scoring the relatively unknown The Last of the Dogmen, Devlin presented Arnold with the mega-budget film Independence Day. The aliens are coming and their goal is to invade and to destroy. Fighting superior technology, man's best weapon is the will to survive, and Will Smith, of course. Independence Day was a mammoth undertaking. After the success of Stargate, Roland Emmerich and Dean Devlin moved to 20th Century Fox to make their movie about the end of the world. Sending David a script early on in the process, Dean wanted to know what he had in mind for the score. The first image of the page pretty much dictated what the movie was about. A close-up of the plaque left on the moon's surface by the Apollo landings, gradually being consumed at first by a giant shadow, and then moon dust as a 25-mile-wide spaceship made its way toward Earth. Recorded on the sunny soundstage in Hollywood, ID4 was recorded over eight days, and a hundred minutes of music was written. The huge hit utilized a 90-piece orchestra and won Arnold mainstream attention and a Grammy Award and a Saturn Award for the score. Very nice! we
European wing commander, Blair, a fighter pilot, joins an interstellar war to fight against the evil Kilrathi, who are trying to destroy the universe. Although Kevin Kiner scored this movie, David wrote the main theme, which was in part heroic, stirring, and a little bit corny. Nothing wrong with any of that, and Kevin did a terrific job of developing David's theme throughout the film, and adding many original touches of his own. Even calling the last cue of the movie, Big Damn Ending, because, well, that's what it was. And now, the poser for later in this podcast. What is David Arnold known for more than anything else? Stay tuned, and I will be back with the answer later in this podcast. Thanks again. Uh, Vartok, that's great stuff there. I love some of that music uh, used uh, throughout your discussion uh, about Arnold and uh, everything he's worked on. I can't wait to hear the rest of that. Uh, That answer will be coming up later on after our uh, review and commentary, a full episode look at Darmok, which is coming up right now. Captain's log, Stardate 45047.2. The Enterprise is en route to the uninhabited El Adrell system. Its location is near the territory occupied by an enigmatic race known as the Children of Tama. Apparently, the Tamarians arrived at El Adrell 4 nearly three weeks ago. They have been transmitting a subspace signal towards Federation space ever since. The signal is a standard mathematical progression. It does not carry a specific message. But they wanted us to know they were there. Apparently so, number one. Starfleet believes that their presence is an attempt at communication. Commander. Now, this is the uh, only the second episode in the fifth season of Star Trek Next years. Generation. Uh, Each meeting went without we, uh, We've got uh, However, them all basically in the uh, usual uh, ready room area discussing Why? the mission ahead. The children of Tama were called incomprehensible by Captain Silvestri of the Shikamaru. Other accounts were comparable. A cause for concern. For all we know, they could be threatening our border. Everything in the previous account suggests a peaceable race. We have to start from there. Agreed. I appreciate your prudence, Mr. Worf. Starfleet believes that the Tamarians have extended a hand. We must do the same. The children of Tama. Heard rumors about them for years. Indeed, but are they truly incomprehensible? In my experience, communication is a matter of patience, imagination. I would like to believe that these are qualities that we have in sufficient measure. Rai Anjiri and Luka. Rai of Luwani. Luwani under two moons. Jiri of Umbaya. Umbaya of crossroads. And Lunga. Lunga, her sky gray. This is one of the uh, rare uh, Star Trek episodes to deal so heavily with language, and I I really find it very interesting uh, because, of course, most of the aliens run into, they usually usually use the universal translator, or they just speak English. What does it all mean? I am at a loss, sir. Captain, would you be prepared to consider the creation of a mutual non-aggression pact between our two peoples, possibly leading to a trade agreement and cultural interchange. Does this sound like a reasonable course of action to you? 
Cadet beneath, Momata. In winter. Impressions number one. It appears they're trying their best, as are we, for what it's worth. Shaka, when the walls fell. Darmok. Darmok. Rai and Jiri at Lunga. Shaka, when the walls fell. Zina at Anzo. Zina and Bakar. Darmok at Tanagra. Shaka, Mirab, his sails unfurled. Darmok. Mirab. Tamok. I really like how these aliens the river. look to the Tamar. makeup on them is real well done. Uh, they did a good job there and the costuming and everything. Really great uh, stuff. Darmok and Gilad at Tanagra. Lock their transport of the shields. Extend to maximum range. Not enough time. Where is he? The Tamarians have transported Captain Picard to the planet's surface along with their own captain. Regular O'Brien! It will not be possible to transport, sir. The Tamarian ship has created a particle scattering field on the planet's ionosphere. The, uh, the location that they use here is, uh, you know, that famous Hollywood sign. Uh, this is, uh, it's in an area called, uh, the, I think it's called Bronson Field or something like that. It's just uh, near or below the Hollywood sign in California. dial down this uh, intro music here since I just played it earlier on the podcast anyway. Talk a little bit about this episode in, in general. Uh, the the captain of the Temerian ship there is played by Paul Winfield. Of course, uh, everyone knows him as uh, probably even more famous. He was Captain Terrell, of course, in Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. He was Chekhov's captain aboard the Reliant that they first... Uh, met up with Khan, you know, 20 years after. So that uh, is where we know Paul Winfield. Of course, you don't really see him uh, very recognizable here underneath all that uh, makeup that he wears for playing the alien part. Uh, this episode, uh, production number 202, basically it was uh, the second episode, like I said, in the fifth season. It aired back in September of 1991. So now what are we at? Uh, probably 16 and a half or so years old, this episode. Still holds up real well. Like I said, it's a great episode about language and, and trying to communicate with uh, an alien species. That In Star Trek, they, they usually kind of ignore that, and it doesn't uh, play into it. They get right into the plot, and, and they kind of gloss over the whole, hey, you know, you guys are an alien species. How do we talk to you? And, and real fascinating stuff. This episode also I wanted to mention... The story is by a guy named Philip Lazenbeck and Joe Minoski. Joe Minoski uh, did the teleplay. He did a lot of work on TNG uh, during uh, its run, so he's got a lot of experience here in its shows. So let's get back to the episode.
Riker to Captain Picard. Do you read me, Captain? Can we compensate? No, sir. The Tamarians are projecting a particle-sustaining beam into the upper atmosphere. The result is a hyper-ionization that virtually disrupts all EM and subspace carriers. Then they can't communicate with their man either. They won't be able to beam anyone through the field. That is correct. However, they have left sensor frequencies clear. Then they'll be able to tell what's going on. Analysis, Mr. Worf. What the hell is going on? A contest, perhaps. Between champions, our captain against theirs. Theirs was armed. Darmok and Zilad. Yeah, the uh, the Temerian captain has these two me? knife blades out, kind of in Dead. both hands. Not really in a threat. Challenge? Darmok and Zilad. I don't know who or what Darmok or Jalad are, but I certainly didn't come here to start a war. Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra. And he just threw, of course, a knife to Picard. This looks a lot like, uh, of course, the classic uh, arena episode of Star Trek. Similar, they're outside, two captains facing off. Picard throws Sorry, the knife captain. back. Shaka. When the walls fell. This uh, episode also introduced everyone to the Picard jacket. Uh, Captain Picard gets a sort of a jacket uniform style uh, in this episode with sort of a blue under Sensors uh, show tunic. that Captain Picard and the Tamarian are in apparent good health, approximately 20 meters from each other. Hell, the Tamarian ship. On screen. You're holding our captain. I want him released. Da Your action could be interpreted as an act of war. Detail. His eyes closed. Chins up at court. A court of silence. Chinza! Is there any way to get through to them? Not without further study. Close the channel, Mr. Worf. Gladly, sir. Worf, I want you to assemble a security team. Take a shuttle down to the planet. Bring back the captain. Aye, Commander. Sir, the Tamarians are fully capable of stopping a shuttle. I'm aware of that. But disrupting our transporter beam and firing on a shuttle are two entirely different things. I'm betting they're not going to push it that far. Now we've got uh, a scene back on the planet. Uh, Picard's trying to uh, light a fire and uh, gets it going. It's the uh, Bronson Caves, not the Bronson Hills, like I said before, where they filmed uh, this. It's uh, like an area, uh, you know, just below where that Hollywood sign you see in a lot of movies and TV shows is at. Shaka, when the walls fell. <laughs> this episode, of course, Indeed. reminds me a lot of the movie uh, Enemy Mine with uh, Lou Gossett well, now, Captain, and Dennis Quaid. You me in my sleep? Two people, one alien, one human, I'm trying to communicate to a lot during the, the course of their uh, adventure. Darmok of Kansa, Jalad at the Kiteo. Picard of the Federation, of the Starship Enterprise, of the planet Earth. Kadir beneath Momote. 
Yeah, even the, uh, I think even the alien, the Temerian uh, makeup looks a lot like uh, Lou Gossett did a little in the Enemy Mine movie. Kind of the similar kind of face, uh, facial, you know, structure and the way they did the makeup here. Um, not sure how much of an influence that was. I can't remember. I think Enemy Mine was definitely before this episode. I'll have to look that up. But uh, there are definitely influences here. And but it's still a great, uh, great episode. Now he um, looks like he's doing some kind of a ritual. The uh, Tamerian captain Dathan he's puts down his uh, some sort of medals almost that he had on his uh, uniform and lays them on the ground. Now he's kind of spreading them around the area. just sort of watching and seeing what happens. Uh, there's, uh, you know, they're about, you know, 10, 15 yards apart. And now the Temerian captain's laying down, trying to get some sleep, it looks like, and Picard's uh, still kind of watching him, wondering what's going on. But the... Um, I have to say, even though I, earlier he did sort of get the fire going, Picard's fire didn't really last. So the Temerian captain has, seems to be a little bit better in the wilderness. So he's uh, Picard's. He's happy he has that Picard jacket on uh, because it's getting kind of cold for him over where he's at. And now the. Uh, the Temerian captain Timber. throws um, a, Timber. a log, a piece of wood mean? burning over fire. to Picard. Does Timber mean fire? Timber. His arms wide. Timber is a person. His arms wide. Because he's... He's holding them apart. In... In... Generosity. In giving. In taking. Timber, his arms wide. Thank you. Thank you. Picard uh, does a pretty good job. You know, he slowly puts together the the language thing throughout this episode, uh, which is uh, pretty good for uh, first officer's long, short time that he has. I'm sending a shuttlecraft to find Captain Picard, gambling that the Tamarians will sit tight rather than risk an exchange of phaser fire. The positron density is 0. 0.013. Electron concentration, 7.95. Oh, today's drink, by the way, is uh, uh, Gatorade Rain Orange. No, tangerine flavors. kind of good. Surface. Commander, the shuttle has reached the E region of the planet's ionosphere. How long can we maintain communication? The scattering layer induced by the Tamarians is concentrated in the upper D region. The shuttle will reach that area in approximately two minutes. The Tamarian ship? Unchanged, sir. 
They appear to be making no attempt to stop us. Maybe we called their bluff. Yeah, Joe Minoski, who worked Stays on this episode, was the one responsible for creating this Tamarian language of metaphors. Do not appear uh, to did a really good job with that. But I can barely read you, Commander. Maintain communication as long as conditions permit. Commander, I am reading a power surge in the Tamarian plasma reactor. Lieutenant Worf, evasive maneuver sequence Delta. Maneuver sequence Delta. Commander, the shuttle has been hit. Damage? The starboardness cell has been rendered inoperable. That's all? Riker to Worf. Report. Starboard thrusters destroyed. I may be able to land, but I will not be able to take off. Understood. Return to the Enterprise with the warp. Aye, sir. So you can see they just damaged them. them but, back, but not enough to hurt them. But didn't yes, really hurt them. Phaser yeah, pulse exactly. appears to have been carefully attenuated for just that effect. shooting pretty sure i can punch up the annular confinement beam enough to transport the captain through the field but it's going to take me at least a full day to do it captain picard could be dead by then i do not believe so i have confidence in his ability as a warrior he will be victorious you're still assuming this is some kind of challenge ritual we can't be certain of that agreed we're only making educated guesses about their motivations. No more than that. Then why do we wait? If we attack the ship now, they will not be able to maintain their scattering field. Which might start a shooting match and for all we know a war. And we might still not be able to save the captain. It would end this stalemate. It's too much of a risk. I'll take that course when it's the last one left. Who the hell are these people? There's got to be some way to get through to them. As I have said, with further study, it may be possible. Then do it. Deanna, help him. I want something by 0900 hours. I like it when Riker gets command. You know, he's, he, he doesn't mess around too much, and, he, and he, his decisions are, uh, are pretty, pretty reasonable. He listens to people. He, you know, it would have been great to see, uh, been reading those Titan novels, a uh, Star Trek uh, series where he's the captain of the Titan, and does a good job really uh, enjoy him as a captain uh, in charge of things now we're back on the planet it's day or morning Picard the Picard jacket is getting a little bit dirtier uh, (laughs) as we go yeah Picard wakes up though and he doesn't see the the Temerian the Temerian captain's not around Of the intrusion, Captain, but I need some answers. Now he's examining Picard's examining the captain's uh, the captain's uh, other camp, the other the alien captain, and he finds like a. Kind of a pad device here. Darmok and Tanagra. Shaka! Mira, his sails unfurled! Darmok! Mira! Freeze. 
Darmok. Darmok. Well, it seems to be a point of contention between them. Perhaps something the Tamarian captain proposed that the first officer didn't like. The apparent emotional dynamic does seem to support that assumption. As with the other terms used by the Tamarian, this appears to be a proper noun. The name clearly carries a meaning for them. Computer, search for the term Darmok in all linguistic databases for this sector. Searching. Darmok is the name of a 7th Dynasty Emperor on Kanda IV. A mytho-historical hunter on Chantil III. A colony on Melindy VII. A frozen dessert on Tazna V. A... Stop search. Computer, how many entries are there for Darmok? 47. All our technology and experience, our universal translator, our years in space, contact with more alien cultures than I can even remember. I have encountered 1,754 non-human races during my tenure in Starfleet. And we still can't even say hello to these people. Correct. A single word can lead to tragedy. One word misspoken or misunderstood. And that could happen here, Data, if we fail. Replay at time index 144. I think they need uh, Hoshi from uh, Enterprise here. She, Computer. She'd Search be able to for figure the term this out, Tanagra. All databases. Searching. Tanagra. The ruling family on Gallus 2. A ceremonial drink on Larishi 4. An island continent on Chantil 3. Stop. Chantil 3. Computer, cross-reference the last entry with the previous search index. Darmok is the name of a mytho-historical hunter on Chantil 3. I think we've got something. Captain's log. Darmok! Darmok, Angelot, at Tanagra! I was curious. I'm in Doha. Saka! Timber. His arms were timber! No, enough! I'm not gonna fight you! You will just have... Darmok Angelard. Tanaka. Yeah, Picard's uh, uh, put this together fairly soon now, what this is all really about. They're not there to fight each other. Timber, his arms wide. That's his arms wide. That means it's, it's, uh, it's like a gift, so take it. And so Picard now has one of the knives. Commander, sensors are picking up an electromagnetic disturbance approaching the captain's position. Analysis? A variable induction field, possibly a life form. How close is it to the captain? The field is erratic, appearing and disappearing but it appears to be moving toward him. Attacking? Riker to LaForge. LaForge here. How close are we on that transporter? Two hours, maybe three. I want the captain out of there now. That's not very likely, sir. 
I don't want to hear that, Commander. Leffler, what's the resonance frequency? 0.34 over standard. I want a resolution of 0.53 at the very least. Commander, I'll need about two more minutes, but there's a good chance this isn't going to work. If it fails, I know we will have tipped our hand to the Tamarians. Ah, uh, we introduce uh, Ensign Leffler from Engineering, who's played by uh, Ashley Judd, the actress. Uh, pretty, pretty well known now. Does a lot of movies and things. We're on uh, it. She ends up appearing in transport room one. TNG. O'Brien here, Commander. Stand by, Mr. O'Brien. And of course, good old uh, reliable uh, Chief O'Brien uh, in the transporter room. Mirabi sails unfurled? Come, Chaka when the walls fell. Sort of like invisible almost. It sort of appears around him. When the walls fell. Shaka, you said that before. When I was trying to build a fire. Is that a failure? An inability to do something? Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra. I remember the words, but I don't understand. Matrix levels? Annular convergence, 439.205. Confinement resolution, 0.527. It isn't going to do it. Increase thermal input coefficient to 150%. Increasing now. Thetis LaForge. We're almost there, Commander. Leffler, shunt the overload to the phase transition sequencers in transporter one. Yes, sir. LaForge to O'Brien. Go ahead, Commander. Confirm phase sequencer linkage. Link confirmed. Ready whenever you are, sir. His army at Lashmere! At Lashmere? Was it like this at Lashmere? A similar situation to the one we're facing here. Uzani. His army with fist open. A strategy with fist open? With fist open. His army with fist closed. With fist closed. An army with fist open to lure the enemy with fist closed to attack. That's how you communicate, isn't it? By by citing example, by metaphor. Ozani's army with with fist open. Sukhat, his eyes uncovered. They have to work together to fight this. I've got a piece of him, Commander, but that's all. Boost the confinement beam. Now they're, of course, over standard. trying to get to the guard off there, but he really doesn't want to go because of what's happening. and the entity are in close proximity. The Tamarian's life signs are fluctuating. 
Scattering field is still in full force. What the hell is wrong with them? Their senses can read what's going on as well as ours can. Riker to O'Brien, report. The field's still deflecting the signal. There just isn't enough of them, sir. Open a channel to the Tamarian ship. Aye, sir. Your captain is under attack. Drop your particle field. Kalash! When it rises. They have closed the channel. O'Brien to bridge. I can't hold him, Commander. So the captain got pretty hurt there. The uh, first Dathan, officer's the log, captain of the starting four five zero four eight point eight. Our attempt to transport Captain Picard back to the ship has failed. My options are narrowing, and my patience is all but gone. Here's the situation on Eladrell. The entity has moved off several hundred meters. Captain Picard's bioscan readings are stable. The Tamarians are not. He may be injured. If the entity decides to attack again, the captain may be facing it alone. Well, the transport is out of the question. The Tamarians have deepened the scattering field to the D region of the ionosphere. There's no getting through. Unless we attack the ship itself. Are you able to pinpoint the source of their particle beam? They're using a polarity coil generator located after their warp drive. It's pretty heavily shielded. Could we get through with our phasers? <sighs> not with the first spread. It'd take a couple of hits. That's not good enough. We need to knock out their scattering fields with one shot, get the captain back on the Enterprise before they know what happened. If we selectively target the amplification pathways around the generator, it should be just as effective. And we can do it in one burst. How long would that take to set up? Orph and I would have to adjust the pre-fire chamber. That'd give us the focus we need. A few hours? Make it so. I would prefer to find a peaceful solution. If we could talk our way out of this one, that much the better. Unfortunately, it may not be that simple. What did you find out? The Tamarian ego structure does not seem to allow what we normally think of as self-identity. Their ability to abstract is highly unusual. They seem to communicate through narrative imagery, a reference to the individuals and places which appear in their mytho-historical accounts. It's as if I were to say to you, Juliet on her balcony. An image of romance. Exactly. Imagery is everything to the Tamarians. It embodies their emotional states, their very thought processes. It's how they communicate, and it's how they think. If we know how they think, shouldn't we be able to get something across in them? No, sir. The situation is analogous to understanding the grammar of a language, but none of the vocabulary. If I didn't know who Juliet was, or what she was doing on that balcony, the image alone wouldn't have any meaning. That's correct. For instance, we know that Darmok was a great hero, a hunter, and that Tanagra was an island. But that's it. Without the details, there's no understanding. It is necessary for us to learn the narrative from which the Tamarians draw their imagery. Given our current relations, that does not appear likely. Yeah, good, uh, good exchange there and explanation for how this language works. 
that they're speaking in, you know, examples and metaphors of things from their history and things that they know. But if you don't know that uh, those stories and that history, it doesn't have any meaning to you, and you really can't make heads or tails out of it. So, Our situation, real cool idea, I think, for this uh, for the way these people communicate with each other, and but I need good setup for the episode. To know more, you must tell me more about Darmok and Jalad. Tell me, you used the words Temba. His arms wide when you gave me the knife and the fire. Could that mean give? Temba, his arms wide. Darmok, give me more about Darmok. Darmok on the ocean. Darmok. Dalmok. The ocean. Dalmok on the ocean. A metaphor for being alone, isolated. Dalmok on the ocean. One thing they didn't really bring out here, oh, the captain, uh, he's um, hurt pretty bad, was that these some well, of these I... words we're familiar with, you know, Darmok, not really, but the ocean word, yes. So I'm wondering if the Universal Translator is still working uh, on some of the word uh, translations to a degree through, like, Picard's communicator, Temba. perhaps. His arms open. Give me more about Darmok on the ocean. Tanagra on the ocean. Darmok at Tanagra. At Tanagra. Country? Tanagra on the ocean. An island. Temba, his arms wide. Jalad on the ocean. Jalad at Tanagra. Jalad at Tanagra. Both of them were on. He went to the same island yes. as Darmok. Now you're getting it, Captain. Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra. The beast at Tanagra. The beast? There was a, a creature at Tanagra. Darmok and Jalad, the beast of Tanagra. They arrived separately. They, they struggled together against a common foe, the beast at Tanagra. Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra. Darmok and Jalad on the ocean. They left together. Darmok and Jalad on the ocean. The ocean. Send it! It's face back his eyes. Also have uh, Picard got his shirt to cut up pretty good too. So uh, we've got a Kirk look for Picard in this one with uh, 
the slit open uh, front uh, was of his uniform. a dangerous creature on this planet, and you knew from the tale of Darmok that a danger shared might sometimes bring two people together. Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra. You and me here at Aladrao. Kira at Bashi. Temper his arms wide. I turn. Now I'm, uh, I'm not much of a storyteller. Besides, you wouldn't understand. Shaka, when the walls fell. Perhaps it doesn't matter. You want to hear it anyway. This is a story, a very ancient one, from Earth. I'll, um, I'll try and remember it. Gilgamesh, a king. Gilgamesh, a king. At Uruk, he tormented his subjects. He made them angry. They cried out aloud, send us a companion for our king. Spare us from his madness. Enkidu, a wild man from the forest, entered the city. They fought in the temple. They fought in the streets. Gilgamesh defeated Enkidu. They became great friends. Gilgamesh and Enkidu. At Uruk. At Uruk. The it's kind of uh, the new interesting went out part here into uh, the desert together. It reminds me when I've been uh, in other countries and I don't understand the language. Was Sometimes it's by the hundreds. just by listening to it, you can pick up the tone. Caught and, the ball by the tail. You know, little ideas of what they're Gilgamesh trying to get across. Struck so him with his sword. Uh, Pretty fascinating stuff, uh, and these two actors really do a great job in this episode. They have to really carry a lot of the show, and uh, Patrick Stewart and, and Paul Winfield uh, do a great job here. Fell to the ground, struck down by the gods, and Gilgamesh wept bitter tears, saying, "He who was my companion." Through adventure and hardship, it's gone forever. Sometimes it's not that important to know the story First or to understand it exactly, but just listening. Despite is, uh, the risk of war, was important. I have no choice but to break the stalemate. Phaser's nearly ready, sir. Stand by to fire, Mr. Wolf. Commander, the Tamarian's bioscan is becoming unreadable. You may be dead, sir. If we know that, so are the Tamarians. Breaker to LaForge. LaForge here. I need those phasers. Sir. Sensors are tracking the entity. 
It is approaching Captain Picard's position. Now, uh, Picard is just kind of putting the hands together of... Uh, I understand your sacrifice, Captain. The uh, captain. Unfortunately, if our friend out there has its way, no one will ever know what you tried to do. and closing. The energy output of the entity has doubled, Commander. Six meters. The forge to bridge. You have phasers. Fire! The particle beam emitters are inoperative, sir. Scattering field is down, sir. O'Brien, energize! We got him, Commander. Maximum shields. Aye, sir. Red alert. Stopper shields holding at 52%. Forward shields are gone. Let's get out of here. That may not be possible, sir. The starboard nacelle has sustained a direct hit. Warp engines are offline. Go to impulse. Back us off. Pretty powerful They're shot to take them maneuver, out, uh, even with the shields fire. up. Return fire, Mr. Worf. Full phasers. Firing, sir. Their shields are holding. They are firing again. Our shields have failed. Commander, we cannot survive another hit. Hail the Tamarian vessel. Aye, Captain. Cinder! His face black, his eyes red. Tamak. The river Tamak. In winter. Tamak. And July. At Tanagra. Tamak. And July. On the ocean. So Kath, his eyes open. The beast of Tanagra. Uzani, his army. Shaka, when the walls fell. So Picard uh, basically said that uh, he failed, that their captain failed, but they're on the ocean together, in other words. I mean, at least that's what I take from it. Picard and Dathan and Eladril. Marab with sails unfurled. And he beamed back the uh, little uh, notepad captain's log thing. Picard had it with him. Timba. His arms open. Timba. At rest. been restored, sir. 
friends, Captain? I can't say, number one. But at least they're not new enemies. I hope I'm not intruding. No, of course not, number one. Please. Damage report's ready for your review. Thank you. Greek, sir. Oh. The Homeric hymns, one of the root metaphors of our own culture. For the next time we encounter the Tamarians? More familiarity with our own mythology might help us to relate to theirs. The Tamarian was willing to risk all of us just for the hope of Communication. Connection. Now the door is open between our peoples. That commitment meant more to him than his own life. Thank you, number one. Blessing uh, with the knife from the planet uh, that he got from the captain, uh, staring outside his window of his quarters there, or not his quarters, but the ready room. So, so there you have Darmok, uh, Darmok on Tanagra. It's a, it's a, a cool uh, episode. I think they had a lot of uh, neat ideas in this one. It would have been kind of nice if they had ever had a chance to visit that species again or if they had kind of done a follow-up episode uh, would have been uh, very uh, interesting you know they could put together some linguist teams and and really get uh, the language thing worked out I think they would uh, come to a better understanding and you know that's what Star Trek was best at doing uh, new cultures new ideas new civilizations so there you go I hope you enjoyed this uh, it's a little tricky to comment uh, while the episode's playing I find myself getting sort of drawn into it uh, as it's uh, unfolding so hopefully uh you still found it interesting and in, in some of the comments that i had i'm gonna play now the uh, the of course classic uh, team up of uh nathan and rick moyer and their l- look at a darmok so here we go hi this is rick and this is nathan and this is the, the father, father and son, son review. review today we're very excited rico that you are covering uh, one of our favorite episodes, The Race Called the Children of Tama in Darmok. Yeah, it's a great episode. And in honor of that episode, we have actually written our review in their language, in their metaphorical language, but really more commonly known to Star Trek fans across this, this whole globe and universe. So I'm going to say the line, and then Nathan, could you just interpret it for us? Sounds good. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> This is what we thought about Darmok. Wesley, at the computer in coming of age. Mr. Barkley as Cyrano de Bergiac, while possessed by aliens. 
We thought the show was excellent. Kirk, Spock, and Abe on Excalbia. The way the captains had to work together to overcome a common enemy. Data as Masaka in the seventh season with Joy. Picard and Kirk stopping Sauron in the Nexus. It was great to hear them tell stories to each other and how they fought together in the end. Death of Tasha, Hoshi Sato's skills in Broken Bow, Sisko and Kira on Terek Nor. It was sad to see that Darmok died, but Picard came out of the whole experience while learning a new language and how to work with a new race of aliens. There are four lights! We give this one five stars. Well, there you go. And uh, How does four lights have five stars? Well, remember in the episode that, that uh, Picard was being tortured in, there was actually four lights, but the guy kept, the Cardassian kept telling him there was five. So that would have been a metaphor of that situation. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Got it? Yep. Okay. So there you go. That's our that's our review of Darmok. Thanks, Rico, for all you do, man. You rock. And yes. we really enjoy listening to your show and being on the forums and everything. And everybody should visit the forums. www.treksandsci-fi.com Th- This review will make up for the really long ones we've done. Yeah. Okay, everybody. This is Rick. And this is Nathan. And this has been the Father Father and Son Son Review. Great job, guys. Really cool stuff. And what I have to say about all of your uh, reviews and everything that you guys add to the podcast is uh, this is my uh, metaphor. Kaylee licking my face when I get home from work. It just makes me feel warm inside of everything you guys put together for the show uh, all the time. So thanks for another great Father and Son Review. Okay, I'm going to do a quick collectible review, but before I get to that, I want to play the other part of Vartok's uh, commentary on the composer uh, David Arnold. So here we go with the rest of that, and I'll be back with a collectible look. Hi, everyone. This is Vartok again with the answer to the question posed earlier. What is David Arnold known for more than anything else? Well, David Arnold is the man who has successfully taken over from John Barry as the composer for the world-famous James Bond movies. Having written the music for Tomorrow Never Dies in 1997, The World Is Not Enough in 1999, Die Another Day in 2002, and Casino Royale in 2006. In 1996, Arnold worked on a tribute cover album of his favorite James Bond themes called Shaken and Stirred, a project that would become a labor of love and take 18 months to complete. Two of the tracks from the album released as chart singles, and one track, on Her Majesty's Secret Service became a successful dance hit. While producing the album, Arnold had been sending his recording to MGM and Barbara Broccoli, who were impressed with the effort and style of his interpretation. Arnold's dreams then became true when he was offered to score Tomorrow Never Dies, Pierce Brosnan's second outing with James Bond. Longtime Bond composer John Barry, who had turned down an offer to score that picture, was also impressed with Arnold's style claiming the young composer as the rightful heir to the series. Away from the film world, David Arnold maintains another career as a successful record producer and songwriter, having worked with a wide range of contemporary artists including Katie Lang, Pulp, Chrissy Hine, Garbage, Martina Topley Bird, Natasha Bedingfield, Amy Mann, George Michael, and Damien Rice. 
David is currently working on scores for the animated film Agent Crush, due to come out in 2008, and the next James Bond film, Quantum of Solace, also in pre-production. And he's also written the score for the Chronicles of Narnia, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, which is also in pre-production. Well, that's it for this music and sci-fi segment, and now back to you, Rico. Thanks very much. Great stuff there, Vartok. I really love the James Bond music over the years, uh, and it's it's always good and, and just sets the mood for the movies so well. And I was very, very impressed with uh, the last one, especially with Daniel Craig, Casino Royale. I think it really uh, was a great movie and invigorated the franchise, uh, which is what it really needed at that point in time. Uh, great stuff, and Vartok, thanks again for uh, your continuing efforts in the musical area. Always good to hear from you. Okay, going to do a real quick collectible review for you. Uh, just another uh, Master Replicas lightsaber. Uh, I did one uh, a couple of podcasts back. I did one on the Luke version 2, one from Return of the Jedi. I also got this lightsaber around the same time uh, from Master Replicas, one of the last items in the Star Wars uh, line that they produced before uh, the end of their uh, the year last year where they lost or they, they didn't have the license in 2008 or don't have it for producing more Star Wars items. But this item is the Mara Jade a lightsaber. Mara Jade, uh, yeah, for people who aren't really into Star Wars that much or the expanded universe that might listen to the podcast, she is uh, mostly known in the novels, all the Star Wars novels, what's called the expanded universe of Star Wars. She is a. She was sort of an agent of the Empire for a little while, but uh, she's probably better known now as she eventually becomes Mara Jade Skywalker, becomes Luke Skywalker, Luke Skywalker's wife in the novels, and she is a. Um, she becomes basically a uh, a highly skilled uh, a Jedi and has a lightsaber and is very skilled in the Force and so forth, like that. And uh, they. The only time, though, that you ever really see her or her lightsaber are in drawings and comics where she's shown up. And also in, there's there was a Star Wars collectible uh, card game. Not really sure if they're still producing cards for that. I think, um, I'm not sure. Uh, I have several of them around here, a different series that they've put out. I'm not sure if they're still producing new ones. But anyway, what they did is uh, they got a model who... Uh, Basically, her appearance uh, was much like Mara Jade had been described in the books and seen in the comics. She's sort of a redhead, attractive, and dressed in uh, kind of black, uh, at least when she was uh, uh, more on the dark side of things and kind of working for the Empire. Anyway, she uh, they did a series of photographs with her and produced a collectible card. And this lightsaber that she used for that photo shoot was uh, originally uh, designed by a guy named Jeff Parks, I believe, who has worked on a lot of uh, sort of, what do you call it, not officially licensed uh, Star Wars lightsabers, but he sort of took uh, the lightsaber idea and designed his own versions of it. And he created this uh, this version of the lightsaber for Mara Jade that was used in this photo shoot. So then along comes later Master Replicas, and they decide to make a lightsaber for Mara Jade. She's fairly well-known, a fan favorite. They've done action figures of her and then they decided to um, to build a uh, prop replica of the lightsaber for, you know, sort of mass consumption for, uh, well, not really mass. It's still a limited edition anyway. 
but the actress, or uh, I don't know if she's an actress or a model. I know she's at least a model, but maybe an actress, too. Her name is, well, her name was Shannon Baska, I believe, at first. And then I think she got married, and the name, the signature plaque on this lightsaber that I got is called Shannon McRandall. Uh, she appears a lot at uh, sci-fi conventions, comic cons around the country, things like that, signing autographs. And uh, she's uh, I've never uh, had a chance to meet her, but I've heard from other people that have and heard she's a real nice person, very uh, warm and very friendly to the fans, so that's always nice to hear. And uh, the lightsaber is a little different, a little unusual. Uh, it's a little bit on the short side, but I think that's probably because uh, she's a little bit fairly small, so maybe they didn't want to make this huge thing for her to be swinging around. It's kind of got these uh, studded uh, handle. Uh, it doesn't have a black handle. It has sort of uh, these rivets around it. Uh, it has some of the typical lightsaber uh, looks to it, some... Uh, a little uh, jewel or LED kind of things. Uh, the better way to look at this, obviously, is go to the collection gallery at treksandsci-fi.com. I'll also have links in the podcast notes this week on how to view this. Uh, but I got the uh, signature version, although I'm trying to recall. I think they only did a signature version of this, but I'm not sure on that. I'll have to check. Uh, but anyway, her uh, she's got a signature on the plaque, uh, and it's kind of cool. I, I really like it. I've always liked Mar Jade as a character. She really, later in the some of the expanded universe novels, uh, she really has a lot to do. She becomes very involved in a lot of things going on with the Galactic, uh, the new uh, Republic that is formed uh, by Luke and, and of course, uh, Leia and everyone. The, there's, there's a lot going on with her character. It's interesting, too, because, of course, she was uh, more of a, a bad person or a bad guy, uh, you call it, bad woman. Uh, she starts off sort of on the dark side and later later becomes a little bit on the good side or more, obviously, and Luke marries her. And originally she's sort of assigned to kill Luke Skywalker. Is, it was kind of an interesting twist. So so there you have it, the uh, Master Replica's Marjade lightsaber, another cool uh, Master Replica's item at the end of their era. Okay, folks, that's going to wrap things up for uh, this week's show. I, I want to thank everyone, as always, for listening and uh, for to uh, continue to listen to the podcast each week. Hey, check over at uh, Podcast Alley or iTunes and slap up a review or a vote for the show if you enjoy it. And, you know, tell friends that you, uh, that you know that are into sci-fi and Trek and things like that uh, about the podcast. That always helps. You know, it's tell a friend and they'll tell a friend and eventually we'll have lots more uh, listeners and lots more people on the forums and we've got a good group going got a good uh, steady flow of uh, listeners each week it's a little bit more when i check the stats so i'm real happy with that and uh, just the continued support from everyone is is great and anytime you know you guys have an idea for a special podcast or something or an episode you want me to take a look at uh, that i haven't had a chance to yet i'm always open for new ideas uh treksf at gmail.com send those on in and if you want to create a little segment uh, of your own you know whether you've seen a movie or read a book that you like oh we are uh, into uh, our new book in the book club on the forums we're reading uh the good that men do which is sort of an enterprise novel a really good book uh by Mangles and Martin, who I interviewed uh, several podcasts back. Uh, so we've got a lot of cool things happening, and uh, I hope you continue to stay tuned to Treks and Sci-Fi. I'm going to get out of here now. I will talk to you again next time. Bye-bye for now. This has been a Rick Dosty podcast production. 